0: Hello, you're watching the Lenovo Sprite video series on the theology of the body and this video is dedicated to audience 40. We are your hosts, I am Jeremy Hossotter
1: and I'm Guillermo Moreno.
0: All right, so to dive in, we are going to begin with discussing the meaning of desire. So we know that We've been discussing Matthew 5, verses 27-28 for quite a while now, and these two verses are not going anywhere, so be prepared for even more videos on these two verses. Now, the key thing we are looking at is this I, concept of desire, looking at the, the man looking at the woman with a desire such that the he commits adultery with the woman in his heart. This desire, this concupiscent desire is something interior because it's within man's heart. Now this concupiscent desire is a detachment from the spousal meaning of the body. And it places the individual into conflict with the dignity of the body and conscience. Now, the there is a psychological meaning of desire. Here, JP2 is going to explicitly define the a psychological and a biblical meaning. We have briefly referenced uh, these concepts before, but now JP2 actually goes ahead and defines them. So uh, the psychological meaning of desire is an intense orientation towards the object caused by its characteristic value. And in our circumstances here, the value involved is the sexual value of the body. Now, the biblical meaning, it, on the other hand, will emphasize the ethical content, the fact that there is a value at stake in this desiring. So, JP2 now gives us a definition of concupiscent desire as, quote, the deception of the human heart with regard to the perennial call of man and woman to communion through reciprocal gift and quote. Now this perennial call is something that we've been talking about because it's that call from the beginning from when God created the first man, first woman to enter into that union, that communion of persons. And so concupiscent desire deceives the heart, sets the heart against this call to the communion of persons that is established through the reciprocal gift of self. Now, this perennial call, JP2, carefully observes, is mediated by the body and is not concupiscent desire. Um, Guillermo, do you have anything you'd like to add at this point?
1: Yeah, I'd like to elaborate a little bit as well. on. um, We could think of the perennial call um, or the perennial attraction as just that, um, say, drawing toward the other person. Because of the opposite sexist value, because of uh, the woman attracted to the man due to his masculinity and vice versa. Um, and whereas desire, I would like to describe that as hand in hand with the look, so we know that Christ says that whoever looks at a woman to desire her has committed adultery with her in her heart. So it's one thing um, to be attracted to someone of the opposite sex, but uh, it's another thing to just frankly lust after them, whether or not uh, one is physically, visually looking at the other person, the desire it's, it's, the lust that goes hand in hand with the look that Christ was talking
0: about. Thank you, Guillermo. Yes. Thank you for that. Yeah, that helps tie in some concepts we have talked about previously, especially this concept of the look—that reductive looking at the other person as an okay. object. Yes.
1: Uh huh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, Guillermo. Yeah, thank you. All right. The eternal feminine and eternal masculine. So at the historical level, JP2 informs us that we have this eternal feminine and eternal masculine that seeks freedom from concupiscence and seeks affirmation at the level proper to personhood so in other words there's this eternal feminine that i guess woman participates in and it's kind of like a guide for woman to seek freedom to to live in accordance with the communion of persons and not concupiscence then This is kind of interesting language, eternal feminine and eternal masculine. So I thought it was worthwhile to go off on a tangent to talk about this concept for a moment within the context of what we already know with the theology of the body. So what is this eternal feminine and eternal masculine? So in general, we know that it represents pure femininity or pure masculinity. And one possible solution of interpreting it is the union archetype, which JP2 used in TOB 20 and 21. When John Paul II was describing how Adam and Eve knew each other through the conjugal act, that this conjugal knowledge was an archetype And for more information as to what is an archetype, we did discuss this in TOB 21. There are two different meanings of archetype discussed with um, Jung's understanding. So there is kind of like maybe a psychological view that in general says this is kind of a universal idea that all men... And women have by human nature. Okay. So all women would have this kind of psychological, eternal feminine idea as part of human nature. And similarly with men and this eternal masculine. And so it would represent an archetype. There's also a possible a Platonic solution. So the Platonic form. Is a pure a pure essence of a thing that exists outside of space and time, and so, and for a later Platonist such as Saint Augustine or Saint Thomas Aquinas, this pure form or essence is an idea inside the mind of God. In terms of Thomistic metaphysics, he would call these um exemplary forms whereas the forms that are like the human soul he would call it inherent form so it makes a distinction between two types of forms inherent and exemplary forms so pos- another solution to interpreting this eternal feminine is as a platonic form as a thing that's outside space and time in the mind of god and this would make some sense when we talk when jp2 talks about the essence of masculinity and the essence of femininity and say tob 17 and 21 Uh, this however would require interpreting a pure essence of masculinity and femininity as platonic forms and if you're going to work within, say the thomistic school of metaphysics that is a little awkward because that's not really how saint thomas or the thomas think about masculinity and femininity it is however a more consistent interpretation if you look at the phenomenological school in particular i'm thinking the realist school of phenomenology found in, say, Max Shaler, Dietrich von Hildebrand, and others. What is interesting is that Edith Stein talks about precisely an essence of masculinity and an essence of femininity as platonic forms, as that masculinity and femininity are actually two species of humanity. This is actually a view of Edith Stein. And I mention Edith Stein here because JP2 is actually a big fan of Edith Stein. In fact, in Fides at Ratio, John Paul II recommends that we study Edith Stein's philosophy, that her style of philosophizing is actually something to emulate. So just as St. Thomas Aquinas is a philosopher who popes have said, Is a worthy model. So is Edith Stein, and one of the peculiar positions of Edith Stein is this Platonic view of masculinity and femininity. So this is this is not to give you an answer, but to give you some ideas. Um, I don't think, depending on how you want to interpret the Jungian view there is certainly a serious problem with some of that. Um, And if you watch the video on TOB 21, you will catch up quickly, which um, interpretation of Jung's archetypes would be a problem. And that is of course, in reference to his um, universal unconsciousness, because that is a, that, is a concept that is something we should really question if we're when it comes to human identity and also the the three persons of god what then we have another possible this platonic solution and as i said it does have edith stein as a um one of the philosophers who does explicitly um, teach. So with that, we are going to move on. If you are interested in uh, where to look in Edith Stein's um, works, you can begin with her Essays on Women, or on Woman, not Women, Essays on women. Um, Guillermo, did you have anything like to add?
1: Not quite. I was okay. just wondering if you knew, um, uh, off the if you're if you know which uh religious order Edith Stein joined,
0: she was a Carmelite.
1: A Carmelite, okay, yep. And I want to say that's the correct terminology, religious order, but I could be wrong.
0: Yeah, no, that's right.
1: Okay, yeah. perfect.
0: I think it's like this calcite. this calc- I don't, I'm not quite sure I to say that word. Okay. Discals, discalcite Carmelite. Yeah. I feel okay. like I'm butchering it, but.
1: I think it's Discalced.
0: That's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Now, the International Carmelite Press, I think is what it's called, um, publishes all of her works and. Pretty much all the major Carmelites. Let's see. Yeah, oh, it's the Institute of Carmelite Studies. That's the publisher. Institute of Carmelite Studies. They have the complete works of Edith Stein, St. John the Cross, Teresa Avila, and others. So if you really want to get into Carmelite spirituality, look no further than the Institute of Carmelite Studies. I, I myself own several of their books, so I can recommend them. All right. Now, JP2 makes a distinction between desire and attraction. He also makes a distinction between the value of the body and its masculinity and femininity and the value of the person. So we need to keep these in mind. So you have the value of the body at, in it as its masculinity or femininity and you have the value of the person and this distinction will help inform us as to the distinction between attraction and desire so if when we look at attraction versus desire we can see immediately that they're kind, they're opposed to each other they're antithetical to each other so Attraction will free the heart and mind for communion, whereas desire, that is, say, concupiscent desire, closes the heart and mind towards communion. For attraction, you have the value of the body being properly integrated within the context of the value of the person. Whereas in desire, the value of the body is given prominence. It is being put placed uh, over and above the value of the person. And so what this means is within the hierarchy of values, because values and goods, there's a hierarchy. Some are greater than others. And the value of the human person itself is something that's much, much more greater has greater importance than the value of the body, even though the body is something that is a value. So when we talk about how we behave with others, we need to act in a way where the value of the body is integrated with the value of the person. And when you take the value of the body and you place, give that more emphasis, such that you neglect the value of the person, then that right there is concupiscence, concupiscent desire. So concupiscent desire focuses on the value of the body at the the exclusion of the value of the person, whereas attraction integrates the value of the body with the value of the person. So attraction has this integration and desire has exclusion. Now, attraction preserves the subjectivity of the other. So given the fact that you have this integration of the value of the body and the value of the person, this means that the personhood, the personhood of the other is preserved. Their subjectivity, that is what properly makes a person a person so the. What makes man a person is properly preserved in attraction. But since you have this exclusion of the value of the person from the value of the body and desire, then the value of, then you have this person, the the value of the person in the act of being excluded becomes reduced to becoming uh, treated as simply an object. The other person's now treated as the other object. And so attraction, given it is properly ordered to the hierarchy of values and preserves the personhood of the other, this opens man to the spousal meaning of the body. Whereas with desire, since the other person is not being properly we're not properly disposing ourselves to the value of the other person, then this cancels the spousal meaning of the body. You can't have the spousal, you cannot experience the spousal meaning of the body if you're treating the other person as a mere object to be used. Because in treating the other as an object to be used, the other person, their body is to be used for your sexual gratification. And that act of using eliminates the ability to experience the spousal meaning of the body in that very act. Are you still there, Guillermo?
1: Yes, I am. All right. Yeah, um, I don't have anything to add.
0: Okay. Just want to check in with you. Awesome. All right. Concluding remarks. So just a couple of things to note first this looking to desire it's an interior cognitive act of reduction and by reduction what we're referring to is the fact that the other person is reduced from treating their personhood to treating them as an object the other ceases to be an object of attraction and becomes only the object of concupiscence. The other becomes an object to be used. And now we have some vocabulary. So first we want to define axiology. And axiology is a philosophical term, and it means, quote, the study of the nature of value and valuation and of the kinds of things that are valuable, end quote. And next, we need to define this term intentionality or intentional. And we gave a rather long discussion about this concept in TOB 25. And we did give a long discussion of it because it's actually one of the central ideas to the philosophical school phenomenology. It's a very important concept for that school of thought. And JP2 uses that term a lot. So we dedicated a lot of time to explaining it there. Then lastly, we do have this um, term, an appetite. And JP2 gave us a good definition. So an appetite, quote, indicates everything that manifests itself in the subject as aspiration. And as such, it is always orientated toward an end that is toward an object known under the aspect of value and cool. So an appetite in this case, we could think of say the sexual appetite that is ordered towards an end. So you you have the what's the value known would be the value of the body, the sexual value of the other person. And so you think the sexual appetite or the sexual urge is this aspiration that's ordered towards this value. And this value is the end itself. Um, at this concept of appetites has a long scholastic philosophical tradition behind it. Um, you'll see it a lot if you read, say, St. Thomas Aquinas. So that is one of those important um, terms that you need to keep back your mind if you wish to dive into scholastic philosophy and theology. Um, Irma, was there something you wanted to add before we ended this video? Nope. Okay. I just want to double check because no, thank you. I wasn't sure based on what you said earlier.
1: No, uh, we're good.
0: Okay. In that case, thank you for watching our video. If you have been enjoying our content, please subscribe, like, share, and comment on our social media. Um, We have a variety of platforms such as YouTube and Facebook and other things. And if you have been enjoying our content, please consider donating some of your money towards us towards our cause you can do so through either patreon or paypal and your financial support goes towards the maintenance of our website and the purchase of new resources so that we can continue providing you with great resources and articles and videos speaking of articles if you go to our website le we have many articles that are free for everyone to read and enjoy And also on our podcast, or also on our website, we have our podcast. Um, Guillermo, do you have more information about our podcast?
1: Yes. In our other podcast series, we talk about uh, a variety of topics, including trends in culture and politics. We always do so from a Catholic personalist perspective. Now, uh, we upload our episodes onto Buzzsprout.com. You can find our page on Buzzsprout through the Lenovo L'Esprit website under the podcast section. And then from there, you can listen to us directly on Buzzsprout or you can locate us. You can use Buzzsprout to locate us in other uh, popular platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.
0: All right. And to just clarify if you're wondering where to find all of our social media you can go to lead com slash subscribe there we have information for everything whether you want to find our youtube channel our facebook page our patreon paypal or other things and Everywhere we have our podcast distributed, it's all on that one page. And you can also sign up for our mailing list on that page. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add, Guillermo?
1: I would just like to ask our viewers and listeners to keep us and our mission in your prayers. Yeah,
0: yeah thank you. Please continue to pray for us. And with that, I will see you next time.
1: Bye, everyone. God bless.